Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. We are joined today by Dr. Mary Jo Pugh, a research career scientist who works within the Department of Veterans Affairs Informatics Decision Enhancement and Analytics Sciences Center of Innovation. Dr. Pugh has overseen substantial work in understanding both the origins and pathology of traumatic brain injury, or TBI, and has been instrumental in applying artificial intelligence towards advancing the treatment of various forms of neurological damage. We talked with Dr. Pugh about how VA is using newfound data processing to elucidate a complex and challenging condition, and how these initiatives are improving the care delivered to veterans nationwide. Dr. Pugh, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. It really is. And I want to start and open with a question about yourself. And just as some background for our audience, can you tell us a bit about your career and your research interests and what brought you to your current role at VA? That's an interesting question. So I, I actually started my career as an Air Force nurse. Um, I was hit by a car when I was training for a triathlon in 1985, and I was thankful that I had a helmet on, which is not something that was very common back in the mid-80s. And I had a brain injury, and I'm thankful that I had my helmet on or I might have been dead, but that's partly why I'm here today. Um, after I got medically retired from the Air Force, I went on to graduate school. I, I was a, a spouse of a military member as well. And so we traveled around and I eventually got my PhD at Catholic University in Washington, DC, um, focusing on developmental psychology, which, which in general uses longitudinal methodologies. And so what I did after we moved to Boston, my husband's last Air Force move, I started working at the VA in Bedford, Massachusetts, as a data analyst, and I integrated my background as a nurse and my longitudinal methodology to then start a, a postdoctoral fellowship. And I, I mean, basically, I, I studied complex comorbidities in older veterans. And then as the wars began, because this was before the wars began, I was interested in using those methods to understand longitudinal outcomes of military exposures. And TBI was one of the big um, early exposures that became quite apparent. And so that's that's how I came to do what I'm doing today. Yeah, it sounds like a really fortuitous convergence because again, like TBI is an immensely complex condition with a, a large range of, as you said, comorbidities, long-term complications, and sort of using that background and data analytics to help elucidate those, it sounds like was really, really conducive. And to kind of get down to the, the subject at hand, Again, before we talk about it in more detail, what are some of the distinguishing features of TBI and, and what among its range of complex symptoms, you know, both physical and psychological, are common after effects of that kind of cranial injury? So it depends on the severity of the injury, right? Um, so the majority of, of TBIs that occur in the VA are mild traumatic brain injuries. And so some people call those concussion. And those typically in over 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 85%, probably some, some would say over 90%, people recover with no real evidence of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an impact. What we do know in the veteran population where a lot of these mild TBIs occur in a setting where it's potentially combat or, or in an accident, um, we see also comorbid post-traumatic stress disorder, some depression, and a lot of pain. And so we have those, we call that the polytrauma phenotype or polytrauma clinical triad. Um, so that's what you see a lot of, but we're also finding that 
down the road, we're finding um, issues even related to cardiovascular disease are more common, even in these veterans with mild traumatic brain injuries. There are some concerns about memory problems um, and, and ultimately dementia. That, that's most common in people who have a more severe injury where, say, there's bleeding in the brain or a, or, or a penetration of the, of, the, of the brain by something externally. So, um, but I think cognitive issues, kind of cr emerging chronic disease and just mental health and pain are, are the, biggest, the biggest things that we see. Yeah, you'd mentioned again, it sounds like again, a lot of comorbidities, a lot of overlap. Again, it sounds like the, the work on, on mental health and the relationship between combat stress, or what was previously referred to as shell shock, you know, PTSD is, is really essential for both distinguishing those two, but also understanding the interplay. And you'd mentioned that again, you had had started a lot of your research work and a lot of your data intensive research um, prior to the, I think the post 9-11 wars. And I kind of want to harken back to that a little bit. And I, I'm wondering, why did the incidence of TBI among veterans increase during post 9-11 deployments? And what drove VA to begin dedicating these kind of special efforts to TBI research? I think there's some some discussion or, or disagreements that TBI has actually increased in post 9-11 deployments. I think there were a lot of like the roadside bombs, the IEDs, the rocket propelled grenades, a lot of explosions. Those same kinds of explosions occurred in other wars, maybe not quite as commonly with the roadside devices, that kind of thing. But I, but I believe that what happened, though, is that we had great in-theater care and people survived more frequently than they had previously. So some of the more severely injured veterans, in other words, wouldn't have survived. Um, it, it became apparent as, as veterans came back, as service members were coming back and they were in Walter Reed, that there were, some, that, that there were impacts that affected the brain. And I'm... PTSD also affects the brain. All of these are brain health issues, but but responses from just people's, I think the the service members' complaints of memory issues, and just I and actually I think one thing that I became apparent was family members said he or she is just not the same person. That actually was something that drove a lot a lot of this. Caregivers and family members actually had a pretty nice impact on how this became more apparent and how um, the, the federal government began to take it, began to look at it and say, oh my God, you're right, this is a problem. Yeah, that's really heartening and really interesting. And I really like your point too about the fact that, you know, in theater care is more sophisticated than it's ever been, which meant that, you know, survival rates were higher. And so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like, for example, IEDs, you know, were creating a novel rate of TBIs because, you know, explosions have been, you know, a weapon of war for longer than anyone of us would like. But, you know, it is clear that that, that was clearly a correlation there too. That's really, again, really interesting. And, you know, it sounds like in tandem with a lot of these increasingly sophisticated, you know, TBI research programs and focuses on advancing treatment methodology and, and comorbidity analysis, V has also clearly been investing in, you know, modernizing its IT infrastructure and in pooling uh, its data resources, both within VA, but also from certain partners as well. And I'm wondering, how have these investments and what about VA's data research usage in particular has been conducive to this increasingly sophisticated kind of TBI research? Oh, so, so the, I think VA's infrastructure has been really helpful. Uh, back in the, I think the early, early teens, I started working because I was in San Antonio. I worked with the joint trauma system. I was able to drive over after I completed all the paperwork and pick up a, a disc, 
that was encrypted that had the joint, you know, the, the DOD trauma registry data for veteran for service members who had injuries. Um, but now we can do all that electronically and we can actually connect the DOD and VA data securely behind the VA firewall so that it preserves it preserves people's privacy and security but we can link and have that longitudinal record and that is on a, a platform called DaVinci and it's it, it's a platform that VA has an VA and DOD have invested in that allows um, researchers to connect DOD and VA data securely and uh, look at the longitudinal record including the kind of the, the health status prior to injury, which a lot of prior work was not able to do that. And if we look at just VA data, we don't know what the person's health status was before the injury. And so we're limited in what we can say about the trajectory of that person's health. Yeah, and it really sounds like that sort of data connectivity between DOD records and again, the both the quality of care, but also the uh, quality of data being derived from, from you know, sort of battlefield triage and the like, and bringing that together with VA records was really important for that kind of long-term analysis that it sounds like you're really overseeing and VA is focusing on um, in terms of kind of guiding the the care of, of veterans who have suffered TBI and trauma and are really trying to recover from that over the course of their lives. And to drill a, a bit more into like the really cutting edge stuff you're doing, clearly you're looking a lot into the usage of AI and machine learning about other capacities that take these large and potentially disparate data sets to really analyze them against each other to find, you know, correlations. You know, you mentioned the interesting fact that like TBI is also often related to cardiovascular strain, which you wouldn't immediately intuit. And I'm wondering, can you tell us a bit about how AI and machine learning capacities are, are useful for a better understanding TBI's outcomes and its associated long-term symptoms? So I think AI methods are going to be essential to really understand the interconnections of diseases. So you have the disease um, networks, and you can see that longitudinally with these longitudinal data. But and you can't you can do a logistic regression with typical you know typical methods, but you don't see all of the interconnections. And I, I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I believe very strongly we're going to see some interesting connections that we didn't realize before. Um, but we can also connect things, not just like diagnosis codes, which is what we've done in the past, and, and we, can, we can do that, but we can connect lab results, we can connect radiology results. And in situations like the Long-Term Impact of Military Relevant Brain Injury Consortium, where we have a prospective study that is that goes beyond um, the health system records, but incorporates the health system records, we have biomarkers in blood that are specific to TBI that we can't necessarily get otherwise. We have neuroimaging results that use, um, I don't even know how many um, areas of interest, uh, regions of interest that are incorporated into analyses. It depends on um, what the question is. But we have, so we have neuroimaging results, we have biomarker results, we have neuropsychology test results, we have longitudinal health system results and history. And so trying to incorporate all of that complex data is not possible with traditional biostatistical methods. And so when we have um, new approaches that allow us to incorporate all of the, the networks using AI methods, I believe we're gonna find some very interesting um, results. And that's where we're gonna see breakthroughs in treatment and prevention efforts. 
Yeah, and it definitely sounds like it already started to have seen those things. You know, again, using you'd mentioned things ranging from sort of like the psychological data to like the raw health information, really layering these kinds of seemingly disparate data sets that obviously have potential correlation. Sounds like it's been a really driving force. And I, I want to touch a bit on, you know, which organizations you're partnering with in terms of like either developing the expertise and the, and the baseline, I guess you could say algorithms or methods of analyzing data, as well as drawing the data itself, because you mentioned the obvious partnership with DOD and in, in drawing those kind of service related information and, and data sources. But what other organizations has VA partnered with in creating the data models that are really necessary to better understand TBI? Well, I think I think that what we have been doing, and it's and it's through kind of the research consortia that have that this has been happening for that's focused on TBI. It's 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 just really collaboration with TBI experts across the across the world. Actually, we're working with the Brits. We're working with people across the United States, and and also um, we were talking recently with with Israeli military folks. So a lot of it is military um, related collaborations and they the VA does now have this NAII National AI Institute the National AI Institute which is something that I was not aware of previously before the the brain the brain summit but this I, I believe the NAII has great potential to help us make the, the next steps because without that kind of knowledge and, and baseline just Big big AI, kind of like Google AI, is what really what they're going to bring us the the capacity to do that kind of work. Without that, and without the the building resources that are growing, because the the AI structure, yeah, I'm doing the 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 IT structures have been pretty unsophisticated to date. They've been great, but they have not allowed the the, the type of computing that's necessary. But with the NAII. And, and the resources that are coming with that, we're going to actually have the computing capacity to do what, what we've been wanting to do for some time. Yeah, that all sounds really promising. And it sounds like it, this you're reaching a moment, of, a moment of real consolidation where a lot of these parties that are invested around a pretty similar, if not singular research goal are really pooling together their resources and allowing, again, the powering and, and fueling with, again, data and information sources, the kind of models you need to really kind of suss out these connections and, and trace the long-term impacts of TBI. And I want to get down to a particularly uh, promising study that I think you've been associated with. And I, I'm wondering, can you explain a bit about the limbic phenotype study and how its findings have been useful for driving this kind of uh, TBI research forward? Yeah, the limbic phenotype study is um, a study that I started when it was still chronic effects of neurotrauma consortium. And basically, we've been we have a twenty we have a cohort of oh, two and a half million service members and veterans that we've been following up to twenty years, which is an amazing resource. And what we've been able to do with those data is to identify trajectories of health. And we found some very interesting. So I described that the the polytrauma phenotype earlier, which is really a combination of TBI related conditions, mental health conditions, and pain. And we've actually found with that study that um, we see trajectories that are relatively stable in that phenotype. Once it start off pretty healthy, but then decline, and then there's another phenotype that starts off with this polytrauma phenotype, and but actually seems to get better. And right now what we're doing is we're looking at the DOD data 
in this longitudinal trajectory to try to understand what kind of things we see in DOD that predict this trajectory of improvement and also the trajectory of decline. Because if we can identify people early who may have a decline or an improvement, the decline we can help, we can try to um, focus on prevention efforts to prevent the decline. And for the improvement efforts, if we, try, if we can understand what is it about those people that lead to improvements? Is it a resilience factor? Is it different kinds of healthcare received? That kind of thing. We can improve um, outcomes long-term for our service members and veterans. Yeah, and that sounds really promising because again, it sounds like the, the limbic phenotype study really centers on uh, looking at the best outcomes possible and really tracing back almost kind of doing a bit of retrospective analysis on how those were achieved. That's that's really promising and sounds really smart. And I wanna wrap up with a final question that's a bit more hypothetical, uh, but again, we've talked a lot about data inputs and a lot about what has really helped kind of provide this new level of sophistication to uh, TBI research and, and outcome analysis. And, and going forwards, ideally, what other data inputs would be most useful for integrating within VA's broader TBI research models? Um, from a population-based perspective? Absolutely. Okay, so from a population-based perspective, I think it would, my my ideal situation would be a, a situation where you could incorporate non-VA care and not, and not just non-VA care that VA pays for, but private care. Um, that gives you a better perspective on everything that's happening with the health, but also social determinants of health issues. So what we see in the healthcare data are just health factors, but we know that over, I think over 50% of health outcomes are socially determined. So social determinants of health have an enormous impact on health outcomes. And if we could incorporate that into the health factors and the health status and even, you know, and, and, health, and health measures, we, I think we could have a better idea of what kind of factors are associated with improvements and decline. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> that sounds like it would be especially useful, really broadening your database. You mentioned just bringing in uh, data from private practice as well. And uh, again, you know, before we wrap things up, is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about, you know, the TBI research you've been looking over or uh, maybe where things might be going with TBI research at VA going forward? From my, from the perspective of my study, I, I believe that we have great promise in and knowing that TBI isn't just necessarily a bad, you don't necessarily have a horrible outcome from TBI, right? And I, I think that that's something that isn't always, I think when you look at the news and you look at the, when we look at what is published in the, in the common press, we often see things that are, for veterans, are not positive. But I think there's a lot positive. We just need to look for that in the data too. So we need to look at not just what's going to be bad or what are negative outcomes, but what are positive outcomes. And I believe that our the ability to incorporate new data pieces will help us do that too. So we can look at what kind of things we can do to improve health and what kind of things we can glean from people who are successful and have better outcomes that can help people long-term. That's not very clear. But it does, again, it does, does make sense, though. That's, that's, again, totally fine. Again, uh, Dr. Pio, I just want to thank you so much for coming out of the program and sharing your insights. Thank you. 
HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.